0: Hey everybody, I'm Jen Garrett, internationally recognized branding consultant and best-selling author of the books, Move the Ball and Dominate the Game. By having a relentless mentality, I've pushed boundaries and gotten into rooms with pro athletes and power players, built a successful business, and moved the ball in male-dominated industries. Now, I'm using my same of the ball methodology to help thousands of people dominate their game when it comes to their brands and creating opportunities. This podcast is all about uncovering strategies of the world's best athletes and business leaders to help you get to that next level. Join me in conversations that will elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey,
1: thanks for joining. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been a part of the Move the Ball movement for quite some time, welcome back real quickly. If you haven't already done so, be sure that you follow the podcast so that you never miss an episode, and also share the show with a few friends too. Now, today, joining me is serial entrepreneur and former college football tight end, John Sarasani. John has dominated in his career, building and selling a successful business, and now he is a venture capitalist who shares his experience and expertise to help others move the ball and win. On the show, John and I talk about taking advantage of new business opportunities, getting rid of things to elevate, how to avoid slipping into a comfort zone, and understanding what differentiated value you bring to the table. As you know, this season, we're on a mission to get stuff done and to dominate too. So if you're also on that path, here's your playbook. You ready? Let's go. John, it's great to have you on the show and inside the huddle with us. You know, we've done a live stream in the past on LinkedIn, but I haven't had you on the podcast yet. So I'm definitely looking forward to our chat today. Are you ready?
2: I am ready. Excited about this.
1: Well, we recently kicked off season four. And one of the things that I really want to emphasize this year is elevation, getting to that next level, pushing your boundaries of comfortability going against the grain to really dominate. It's great to move the ball and everyone hears me talk about just move the ball a little bit, a foot, an inch, a yard, et cetera. But I feel like sometimes people think, well, that's all I have to do. Is let me just move it a little bit. And some days that's all you can do because life demands and that's okay. But as a normal course of business, like let's really push and make shit happen. Right. So okay. I don't normally swear on the show, but every once in a while. So in alignment with that goal or that focus for the show, my plan is to really have people like you on who have really dominated in their field, who have you know been at the top of their game, who have played college or professional sports as well, and have taken lessons from that to be successful. And so I was really excited to text you about coming on the show, so I'm glad to have you here, and I know that you're going to share a lot of great nuggets of wisdom with our audience.
2: Awesome. I'm excited.
1: So let's get into a part of your story. You are a self-made man who has found tremendous success with multiple businesses you know, you started off your career in corporate just like I did. And it's funny how life kind of takes us in different directions. I mean, for me, I always thought I would be a corporate employee and climb the the ladder, be a Fortune 500 CEO was my goal. And as you know, my dad passed away unexpectedly and that changed that trajectory. So you started out your corporate career working for Arthur J. Gallagher. And then you quit there for yourself to build an insurance company. Walk us through that journey. You took a leap of faith. Tell us what it will sound like for you. Why did you decide to leave,
2: et cetera? Yeah. So anybody that knows anything about the, the corporate insurance world, there's a the wholesale side and then there's a, a broker kind of intermediary side. And then obviously then there's the user, the client. And I started my career off out on the wholesale side, which was the, the insurance company itself. And I uh, worked for a big health insurance company, really strong in the employee benefits arena. And we kind of have as sales reps there, this enamorous, I want to say enamorization, but not enamorization, like a mortgage, like being enamored with with the the brokerage community that we called on. And Arthur J. Gallagher was, was one of those brokers. After a few years at the wholesaler, I got a job over at Gallagher, pounded my chest, look at me, I'm at this pretty prestigious company in our industry and yada, yada, yada. And, after being there for a few years, I'm looking around and I'm like, you know, gosh, I'm just not fulfilled. And I think I could do this as good as everyone here is doing it. You know, it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz once I got there and I'm not picking on Gallagher. It's a great organization, but anybody that knows insurance or really just any service sector company, especially when you're young, you, you feel like, holy cow, they must be geniuses over there. And then you pull back that curtain and It's like the Wizard of Oz, the guy controlling the smoke coming out of the big robot's ears. And, you know, it's eyes are lighting up. It's really nothing going on here that can't happen anywhere else. You know, bigger doesn't necessarily mean better. You know, yeah, we've been in business 100 years. Yeah, we have 20,000 employees. Who cares? Those 20,000 employees aren't working on one account together and 100 years of experience. I was there for five and I didn't have 100 years experience. You know, I had five and I'm the guy servicing your account. So it just became kind of like this epiphany. I could take this value proposition and build a system internally to deliver this to a client, you know, I'm not going to win every time. Some clients are just going to put their heels on the sand. No, we need to have the big, the big dog, you know, service, you know, it's kind of like a big law, like the fortune 500 company needs that big law firm. They can never work with these little guys. You know, sometimes you get that, but I don't need every single client. I just need a, need a sliver of them. And if I could get that sliver, I would be able to um, exceed my compensation that I was receiving at Gallagher. You know, I was able to just do do just that and it really hockey sticked after I got some momentum and I developed a niche working with small private higher education institutions. And it really just made, made me operate much more efficiently had I not developed that niche. And you know, it worked out well. I walked away from a big job though. I mean, it was good. I was 27 years old, making well into the six figures at an office. My parents were proud of me. I had a 401k. Okay, I'm going to go uh, do this and compete with these guys now from my kitchen table. Uh, my dad's like, uh, what?" <laughs> you know. Right. My- so. Yeah, it's,
1: it's definitely, it takes a leap of faith to do that. It's hard to walk away from a really great paying job. I mean, you know, we've known each other for a while. And so I've known you before I left and it, it's not always the easiest thing, especially when you have a family and you know, people uh-huh. to provide for as well. Something you made me think about too is a big brand versus going out on your own and being a small guy, right? Like, cause I worked in Fortune 50 companies and so. You know, I had the the brand of GE behind me. I had the brand of Boeing. So if I reached out to people, people called back. People responded because you had this big behemoth, right? This global brand that everybody knew and recognized. Did you find when you left to go start your own business, was it difficult to get people initially? And what did you do to kind of accelerate your path?
2: Well, what was interesting is, and by the way, this is going back to 2005. So things could have been different at Gallagher now. Anyone who knows people that work there might not be the same now. But at the time, yeah, those Fortune 50, Jennifer, and those Fortune 100 types of companies, Gallagher was competing against even bigger companies like Marsh or Aon for those types of clients. And we'd usually lose to them. So what would happen is Gallagher would have to go down market. And now you're competing with more of like the 500 employee factory or the, you know, the chain of restaurants with a few hundred employees, and the sophistication needed on those accounts just is not the same as calling on a, a, a human resources director or a CFO of a um, for Fortune 50 company. It's just a different different type of skill set. Um, so Gallagher would kind of go down and play in that what we'd call that middle market space, and you know that that's where I just felt like. The value proposition just isn't there. Now, you'd run into situations where that 800 employee company thinks they're a Fortune 50 company and thinks they need to be with Gallagher or thinks they need to be with Aon. God bless them. That's not going to be the client when I go on my own. They ain't going to come to me. I'll sniff that out before I even meet with them. I don't know if I'm wasting my time.
1: For sure. And I think it's important to know as a business owner, like who are the customers that you can really gain traction with because when I left uh corporate, I was like, Oh, I want to do consulting contracts with Fortune 50 companies. Well, the reality is those companies didn't need me. Right. right? It's the smaller businesses, <laughs> yep. it's other people. And so it took a little while for me to get over that. And there was part of my ego that's like, that's where I came from. And so that's where I want to play. Right. And so those efforts never really went anywhere. We just have meeting upon meeting and I'm just like, now COVID Happened too. So that kind of changed everything. But I was learning, like, maybe I need to focus on a different segment because this is not what's going to work out. And so it's important to know where should you place your energy and your effort? We only have so much time. Mm -hmm. And so you got to work on those clients, those customers, those accounts that you can really close or have a higher likelihood of closing on.
2: Well said, and for me at least, there's two things. Everything you just said, and then in addition to that, those bigger clients that were more of like the names that you'd want, would beat you up so hard on your fees that they yes. become like not profitable because they they almost right. felt like it was you, they're doing you a favor by letting you have them on their client list. You know what I mean? Exactly.
1: Yes, they have a lot more bargaining power right. than you, exactly. so it's it's a less lucrative deal. So we all know that it's your habits that drive your outcomes. That's not a new concept. People talk about this all the time. Something that I wrote about in my newest book, Dominate the Game, is this concept of managing the game clock and using your time effectively. But also in doing that, you need to ditch what I call ditch the old habits or ditch the old clothes in the locker room chapter with that title. And it's really about ditching those habits that are no longer serving you. I didn't say bad habits for a reason, because not all habits are quote unquote bad that you need to get rid of them. Some of them just They're not relevant to where you're going today and tomorrow. They got you to where you are, but now it's time to shift, to continue to elevate and dominate. So when you look at what you are doing today, what are some of the things that you had to get rid of for where you're at now and where you're heading into? We're going to talk about some of the projects that you're involved in.
2: Yeah. Gosh, I I could tell you what, I mean, obviously you had mentioned COVID earlier. I don't I don't think this is exactly the way you were asking me it, but. I had an epiphany the last couple of years and I got into some bad habits in terms of just like, you know, what what, I think a lot of people said, what's our purpose? We're all working from home. And, you know, I had to take a step back. Gosh, this is as recently as about six months ago. Hey, listen, just because I'm working from home every day now and doesn't mean I don't need to get out, of take a shower when I wake up in the morning like I used to, have my coffee, have my breakfast, get dressed for the day, then go down to the office and, you know, it wasn't bad habits in the sense of being less efficient. It was just a, it, bad bad habits in the sense of not having a routine. I caught myself for doing this for two years, just like, oh, you know what? I'll shower for my day and get dressed for the day whenever I feel like it. And you might get locked into your emails at six in the morning and never leave that seat till 11 a.m. Now, next thing you know, it's lunch and you haven't even, you're still in your sweatpants, you were to bed. And you know what I mean? It's really easy to get caught in that trap. Next thing you know, you're having zoom calls with the camera turned off just with your damn thumbnail picture on there. And it's like, wait, what am I doing? And I found, I was able to kind of take a step back. What got me here in the first place? It wasn't not doing everything right. It was having pride in every single thing that I did. Yeah. Maybe I don't have that commute to work anymore, but you know what though? I can act like I do in the morning. I can still come up with my damn routine and it just it just makes me mentally, you know, mentally sharper. Um, an another thing that I do, and I think you're going to ask me about it at some point. I'm imagining it. I, I do a lot on social media. Anyone that posts a lot on social media, especially especially TikTok or or Reels on Instagram, oh my God, you you get caught up in that. You could just be doing it. TikTok take up two hours of your day. You know what I mean? If you're just constantly looking at this stuff, so. I'll make mine before I go to bed, save them in drafts, have the caption already set, have the hashtags already there, then just press send. And when I wake up in the morning, I like to post around seven AM versus waking up in the morning and doing it at six thirty and then cause now I'm looking at it, I'm gonna be like, okay, well, who commented or you know, all this crap and i you know, just it's just terrible. Um that's why I think a lot of people that do what I do just outsource their social media for for that reason, because it's easy to just turn into that accumulation of your time.
1: And I appreciate you sharing that because for me, it was comfortable to be at home all day long because the clients that I worked with were all over the country. I didn't need to physically get out in my area. Whereas now I'm out a lot more. I'm physically connecting with people here and doing business too. Um, and so it's very different. My routine is a lot more structured. It's, it's more like when I was in an office in the corporate setting versus just, you know, rolling downstairs. I mean, I wake up early, but. I still be in my pajamas.
2: Right, right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, something that I, I like to say is when it comes to being successful and really dominating in whatever field you're in. It's about differentiation and separation. What I mean by that is differentiation in terms of what differentiated value do you bring to the table? What's your expertise that other people don't have? So that way you're a valuable asset. And then secondly, the separation is what do you do differently to set yourself apart in terms of habits, practices, you know, how you handle your business, et cetera. So when you look at how you differentiated yourself throughout your career to bring value. What would you say, like, what are the three things that, that people are saying, you know, I go to John because he's able to do X, Y, and Z. What would those things be?
2: Yeah. So I'll talk about that in the context of my company that I built. Most of my success came from the company that I, that I sold back in, back in 2015. And, and the, the way I got there was by being a CEO and founder that, w- that was very hands-on. There was not one thing happening under that roof that I wasn't able to do myself or familiar with, just a function of when I started the company. I did not subscribe to the idea of having people work for you when you didn't need them. Why am I paying even, even an assistant? I didn't have anybody working for me and we're probably gross revenue and I don't know, probably close to a million dollars before I started hiring anybody. And, and the reason behind that was because I knew that as soon as I paid somebody Else, anything. You know, I had an employee once where I was giving the person $70,000. Well, because I was paying the person $70,000, I wanted them to actually do work and I let them do things that I normally would have done otherwise. We ended up losing an account over something that they screwed up that I would have done better. The business I was in was not a volume type of business, it was a high quality. You know, each client is worth a certain amount of money kind of thing. So it's only so many relationships you have to manage so you could get away with that. But I think having that attitude, especially in the early years, probably the first five years or so, once I scaled and we did have employees, (laughs) I knew exactly what everyone's job was and exactly how to do it well. And that came down to the customer, coming from the customer service rep to the underwriter to, um, you know, our top salespeople. So, uh, you know, I, I think that was a huge distinction for me.
1: And how do you balance? So there will be some people that say, well, you should delegate the things that you can delegate to other people so that you have time to do the other things on the business. So if somebody says that to you, how do you balance or counter that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It depends what stage your company is, is in. I think anything client facing, if you're still a small company and you don't have to, I, I don't think you should like delegate really anything client facing unless you're delegating it to a person that's gonna be better than you you at it. If you don't have it in your skill set and you have someone working under you that's just better at whatever needs to be done, yeah, then do it. But otherwise I, I wouldn't do it. And I would hire hire people to help me with anything in my life that didn't have to do with clients. So anything from picking up my daughter at school to getting my dry cleaning. Now that's not something that's scalable in the long run, but like anything, any minute I couldn't spend at my company, anything I, anything personal in my life that I could pay somebody else to do for another minute in exchange for putting towards my clients and my company. That was my mindset and, um, you know, worked out well for me.
1: Sure, and and that makes sense. And that goes back to this concept of managing the game clock. You only have so many hours of the day, right? So you need to focus on what are the things that I can do. And if doing the stuff for my business is where I bring value and I can outsource. You know, someone do, running a couple errands for me or doing something else, then that makes sense because you're preserving your time for more value-added and potentially revenue-generating activities.
2: Yeah, and I'll tell you what, on on those lines, even even as I grew a little bit, I'd have I'd have somebody that was kind of like a seventy-five percent of the time employee. That, but I give them a salary. I didn't have them on hourly. I had them on salary, and give them they like, like thirty-five thousand dollars or something. I can't set your hours each week based on. When the random stuff's going to pop up because it's random. So I just mentally, now we have the revenue. We could pull this off easily, but it's like, okay, this is your salary. I'm sorry. You're going to be bored sometimes. We just need an extra body here when shit happens. And, uh, you know, ver- versus paying somebody hourly as needed, that's money gone. Live with it. Use them as needed. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that's, I think just a, a personal mindset thing that worked for me.
1: Sure, I think part of it is you want to have a team of people that you can count on that are reliable. If they were just an hourly person that you had some sporadic schedule, they might jump to go something. Out, do something that's else true. that's more that's stable, true. right? I mean, I, I recently hired someone to um, pick up my kids from school or like when I travel to take them to school and to pick them up if I have functions. And they're not on a salary, but there were times where my event or my meeting might've gotten canceled, but it was the day of. Instead of calling my, uh, my person and saying, hey, you know what, I don't need you anymore. I would still have her pick them up because, Who knows if she needed that income, right? She was doing me a favor. And so I wasn't going to quote unquote screw her out. She would have understood and would have been like, fine, don't worry about it. But I care about that relationship. And so, you know, I'm not going to do that to her. If it's more than 24 hours or 48 hours, I feel that's fair. But if it's, you know, inside the day of, I'm going to pay you even if I don't need
2: it. Well, I, I had this, this conversation. I, my daughter had asked as the teenager, asked for personal training lessons at this local gym last year. And then she'd not show up. She'd no call, no cancel or whatever. And I just said, Hey, listen, <laughs> that's an hour that he's not making any money now. You can't do that to people. It's a growing up thing. And I think it just goes to your character. And you know, I, I have the same thing. My, my cleaning lady came the other day and I, I was gone for the six days of the week. We did not need the cleaning lady. but <laughs> I'm not going to like cancel her. You know what I mean? So clean sheets got washed the second time. There you
1: go. Right. And I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's how you, you have a great team around. You. It takes a team to move the ball, whether it's in the actual business activities or it's just to navigate your entire lifestyle. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. So you mentioned earlier that, you know, you're on social media, you do a lot of 60 second videos. You post them on Instagram, on TikTok. I think they're brilliant. I love watching them. They're very entertaining. You definitely interject a lot of personality into them which is also i think you do it in a great way that's educational and entertaining and i think that's differentiated value that you bring to your audience and that that's why you're successful at growing that base and and you have a podcast which we'll talk about too why did you decide to start posting these videos to begin with
2: during covid we got all this time on our hands and I had gotten involved in a real estate investment and I've been in and out of a lot of different residential real estate deals, a few commercial too. But anyhow, in the state of Illinois, the, the way um, real estate lawyers operate with their fees, I've just always thought it was it's a little bit below board because they're charging a fee and then they're also getting a commission from the title company based on the title fees. Most people don't know that. It's like a dirty little secret nobody talks about. I repeat, real estate lawyers in Illinois, you know, all those title fees on your closing statement, that real estate lawyer that you paid $600 for their fee, they're also getting a commission on those title fees. This is shady if you ask me. Anyhow, it happened and I knew it was going to happen, but I I waited to let it happen because the, the way around it is, They shouldn't charge the fee if they're getting a commission. Well, they're always getting a commission, either on on one side of it there. So I'm like thinking, okay, let's see if this person that I've gotten all this, I've given all this business to refer business. Let's see if they screw me now with a fee on top of the commission because they don't think I know it. Sure enough, they did. And, you know, I signed it and whatever. I didn't blast the person by name. I didn't, I didn't put them on blast on social media, but I decided to make a video and just post it on YouTube and share it on my personal Facebook too. Outlining this now, people were like in rage. What are you talking about? It's a very unprofessional video. There's no microphone. There's no lighting. It's my phone propped up and me just sitting on a chair talking. <laughs> about a 12 minute video. Anyway, um, I'm sure your audi- a lot of your audience, has the same reaction. That's not accurate. You can't have commission and a fee. What are you talking about? This guy doesn't know. No, I real, right? it's only charged 400 bucks. No, they get a commission on those title fees. So nobody really knows that. And uh, people just got of flipped out on it, Jennifer. <laughs> I just started getting like requests to make more videos like that. And, um, it was on YouTube initially. It's, so it's John Sarasani's, uh, 2000% raise. It's the name of the, um, YouTube station. Now, back then it was just my personal YouTube with like, you know, my, my, uh, son had, uh, being the ring bearer at a wedding to five years ago, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I, I made a page now with, with more of that. And it, it just kind of took off once I started putting on in, on Instagram, um got very popular fast but but really I, the bread and butter is tiktok tiktok is so much i don't know just better i think i think people treat instagram right now almost like um I, I spend a lot of time in los angeles at least out there for sure they treat it more like a business card than actually a place for conduct or con- uh, ugh, a place for content you know in other words Okay, I met you. I'm gonna go look at your Instagram. Okay, who do I know that you're following? Who do you know that I'm following? Let me see what your pictures look like. How many, you know, how many followers do you have? Like people like look at it that way. I don't I don't think in Chicago people necessarily do, but they do pay attention to it. Um anyway, my point is Instagram's not all about just the content anymore. And, and I think YouTube is, and I think, I think TikTok is. So if you put out good business content um, or really any kind of content, but for me, it's obviously business content, it, it'll, it'll grow much more rapidly um, than in the, uh, than in the Instagram world on, on TikTok. And another thing on Instagram right now, people don't like to like actually share things or comment or like, cause it's like so public. And like I said, so many people use it as a business card. They don't want like their I don't I don't know it, it's it's just it's just strange like I put the exact same video on Instagram the exact same video on TikTok and the performance of it through the algorithms is like night and day.
1: Sure. And um you made me think of something, too, when you were talking about real estate and the fees. Well, one thing first is that you, know, you bring differentiated value, It's topics and other people don't post about, too, which is great. And that's that's, again, that differentiation. Right. So because I am so I am an attorney, as you know, and I am a real estate agent. I am not a real estate attorney. But okay. I just want to say <laughs> that the comments that you have made are specific to the state of Illinois, because not every state has some states are title closing states, some states are attorney closing states, which Illinois is an attorney closing state. So, for those that are not in Illinois, I don't want you to like freak out and be like, "Wait a minute, let me go check <laughs> right. and see what's going on." So that's specific to Illinois. <laughs> so I just well, wanted I to, tell to you, mention. I,
2: every time I make any kind of TikTok or anything right now that involves real estate transactions, I got to be careful. Not just because of what you just said, They're anything like the term escrow in Illinois doesn't mean the same thing as others. Oh, did you put an escrow? What, what are you talking about? Like it's it's just different different uh, semantics from one state to the next
1: sure and and that's a great point too because so as a business owner myself i mean i do advertising it's kind of an important way to grow your business and i don't just do uh transactions here in illinois i also work with anybody across the globe i help them relocate et cetera. and so those ads go everywhere so in the state of illinois a real estate agent is considered a broker in other states you're a salesperson, you're a real estate agent, you're not termed a broker. It's all the same thing, but there's differences in vernacular. And so I have to think about how do I, when I'm posting these things that can go international, I always put real estate agent because I don't want someone to misconstrue it and say, oh, she has a broker's license. In Illinois, I do, but not anywhere else. It's it's different. So anyway, but um, so yeah, it is. But I think it's a good lesson. To, you have to be careful about if you're posting content that's being consumed nationally or globally, sometimes those terms that get used might be interpreted differently.
2: That's right. That's right. I agree 100%.
1: So let's talk about your podcast. It's also called the 2000% Raise. And we're going to have all your social channels in uh, the show notes too. So people can go check out your show, your TikTok and see all these great videos. I highly recommend them. So you started this this, uh, podcast after you started doing the videos. What do you like the most about it?
2: it's fun and i'm I'm sure you've experienced the same thing you just get you feel like you get a little bit better at it as you go to you know what I mean i I've been using where I, I just I just do it weekly so we're 18 weeks in right now and well no I'm sorry we just I guess this will be week 19 coming up and uh you know'm i I'm just pulling from my my personal network and I'm trying to get interesting guests but like like for instance um Roddy white he, the he was played receiver for years on the Falcons and Hopefully uh, he's he's up. He's on the ballot for the Hall of Fame. I don't know if he'll get in or not. But he was Michael Vick's uh, main receiver, side by side with Julio Jones for a long time. And anyway, he's a friend of mine. I had him on episode one, and you know, I go back and listen to it, and it's like, oh god, why did I say that? This this would have been a better question. You know what I mean? You kind of beat yourself up, and you know, fast forward, I had um, Tracy Tudor from Million Dollar Listing on, and she was episode five, and you know, yeah, I was better than I did with Roddy, but I still like, all right, man, you know, this could be a lot better. And here I am eight weeks later thinking I sucked. So, uh, we'll see the listenership has gone up each week. Um, you know, I've, I've been blessed with, uh, with people sharing this for the most part on, on their social media. It's not everybody's cup of tea. You know what I mean? It's, it's all business entrepreneurship and, the one of the band members from from the band uh, Umphreys McGee, which is a big like um, festival band rock kind of thing, and they have a huge following, and they're pretty damn popular. And think about the Grateful Dead uh, meets Steve Matthews kind of thing, and you know he, he's on the show, and we had a great great back and forth about the music business, but. They're not going to reshare that on their Instagram because it's like people aren't going to their Instagram to hear insight on the music industry. They're going to like jam to their you know music and see videos of them. You know what I mean? So, you know, I, I, I got to um I got to not just rely on my guests to help me grow is my point there. I need to I need to look at other avenues and just keep trying to put out good content. And, you know, hopefully that uh, it keeps going the direction it has been.
1: For sure. Anyway, when you put out good content, more and more people will come because people will tell people, people want to share about it as well. So, you know, I encourage people to go check out your show. We'll have it in the show notes again. And, uh, and please, if you like what you hear, please pass it on too and spread the word. And you mentioned, you know, it's not for everybody. I think that's the thing is like, you can't be all things to all people, right? Like you have to know your, your lane and focus on and who you serve and you're going to attract who you attract and the rest of them. That's okay you know, so you just have to to stay with what your core is. So we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we've got some more insights. I got some fun questions. I want to ask you as part of our two minute drill and a
0: couple other topics. So we'll be right back. Hey, have you moved the ball in your own life today? If you're working toward your dream job, a new personal record, or a bigger salary, you need a plan to consistently make progress. That's why I wrote Move the Ball and Dominate the Game. These books are packed with strategy and easy to implement tips on gaining clarity of your goals, developing your own personalized playbook for success, pushing your boundaries of comfortability, and really elevating and dominating. Go to www.dominateandmove.com and enter code DOMINATE2023 for a 20% discount on the bundle. And all books are signed copies as well. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, we're
1: back. And so we're going to get into the two-minute drill right now. And then I've got a couple other things that I want to chat with John on before we end the show. John, are you ready?
2: (laughs) I think so. I will fire off answers. I've I've seen you do this to other people, and I've heard your questions. Yes, yes. I am not prepared to answer them. They will come right off the top, though. Let's go. That's
1: yes, yes. You're a pro. You know what you're doing. Here we go. What three words would you use to describe yourself?
2: I always like to describe myself as opportunistic. That's definitely number one. Passionate. Take that however you want. And I would say a risk taker with a good heart, if that could count as one.
1: Yes, that counts. All what right. is one thing most people don't know about you?
2: I got custody of my son when he was in fourth grade and uh, he moved across the country to come live with me. And I raised him on my own. And he's a freshman in high school right now. We've set up amazing relationship with two of us. I've learned more from him than he's learned from me, probably.
1: Oh, that's awesome. And I know you're a great dad. I and mean, obviously, we've been friends. We've known each other for a long time. So well done. Next question is, would you rather be the world champion of your sport Or the CEO of a billion-dollar company?
2: Okay, so this one I was prepared for. That's an awesome (laughs) question, by the way. The CEO, whatever the rich one was, and here's why, okay? Society will gravitate towards people with money anyway, even if you're not famous. The people around you make you, you feel like you are, I think. And if you're a celebrity, there's no one making you feel rich if you're not actually rich financially, I mean. So I think you get both of those worlds a little bit more if you're that CEO.
1: Got it. Next question is, what book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to?
2: I'm not a big reader, but I will tell you the book I've referred to for the last 25 years of my life, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I have extra copies in my house whenever I, I come across somebody that maybe needs it and, uh, mm-hmm. in, a, in a way where it's like, dude, you got to work on your social skills. I will give them that book and I'll just take time to just read it from time to time on my own. As far as podcasts, there's a guy named Mike DeChocho that has a podcast called Mike Up, and it's about being a good person as well as being an entrepreneur.
1: Oh, great. I've heard of his show. I have not listened to it. So now that you've said that, I'm going to definitely check it out. Next question is, if you could play any song at any of your public appearances, what would that song be?
2: <laughs> All right. I've recently gotten onto this song, okay? Blackbird by the Beatles, all right? And the chorus is you've been waiting for this moment your entire life or something like that. And I listen to it every morning, along with Michael Jackson, Man in the Mirror. I I start my day to those two songs.
1: Those are your things. They, They get you energized and fired up. Very cool. Next question is, what would your next career move be if you were guaranteed to succeed?
2: You know, I'd like to be on TV. I'd like to be like a television host or something like that. And you know, maybe on. Uh, I see Nate Burleson on the CBS Morning Show, Michael Strahan's on uh, Good Morning America. I look at those guys and they're intelligent dudes. But I'm like, I, I could do that, man. They put me in that spot. Give me the shot.
1: Yeah, and Michael has done a really fantastic job transitioning out of his football career and into the public sphere. You know, hosting television shows and being on. And so, yeah, he, he's done a great job. All right. Last question here is you have 24 hours and a private plane that will take you anywhere. Where are you going?
2: I'm going to say somewhere I've never been. How about we stop in Dubai? And then from there, we stop in uh, Macaw, outside of Hong Kong. And uh, if there's still time in the day, which my math is this thing better go fly pretty damn fast, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> maybe we'll go down to Sydney, Australia. Those are three places that I have not been to.
1: Oh, can I join? I've not been to those three either, but they are on my list. So let's go. All right. All right. The bonus question is M&Ms, plain or peanut?
2: <laughs> a peanut, 100%. I don't even have to hesitate.
1: Gotcha. I'm a peanut person too. So... Something else that I want to talk about on the show, two other things is one, you played college football. We didn't talk about it here. I mentioned it in your bio, and so you played at Notre Dame and Northwestern. And something that you like to say is you have the best of both worlds. Can you explain that a little bit? Why why yeah. you say that?
2: Well, I left Notre Dame under interesting circumstances, and I didn't really need to leave. But it, Lou Holtz had just retired or re- resigned. I'm putting air quotes up on that. Um, just got fired. And uh, it was spring football and Bob Davey had taken over. I had gotten a little off the field altercation with somebody. And anyway, I ended up getting suspended for a semester. And I was the starting tight end of the team. I was supposed to be starting the next, that fall at tight end. I'm like, oh, crap. And I just decided I am, I'm 20 years old. I know everything. I'm transferring. I don't need to be here at Notre Dame. And Bob Davey tried to say to me, John, it, it, just sit out the year and come back. No one's ever going to ask you about this again. People will forget about this a year from now. If you leave, when you're well into your 40s, people are going to be asking you why you transferred from Notre Dame to Northwestern. Ultimately, I chose to go to Northwestern. I could to Northwestern was very good at the time. And Anyway, and Bob is absolutely right, but people do ask me that. But he left out this part. I have the best of both worlds now, all right? Depending on who my audience is, I don't have to tell you I went to both. If you don't know me from Adam, and, and you probably don't, all right, I go, where'd you go to college? If so I want you to think I'm good at football, <laughs> I went to Notre Dame. If I want you to think I'm smart, hey, I went to Northwestern. Both of them serve their purposes, okay? Now I'm 46 years old. The uh, the being smart thing comes across a little bit better than being good at football thing, but there's some street credit on both sides. And what's what's crazy about that, Jennifer, is that both of them have good football programs. Maybe not Northwestern very recently, but if you look at Northwestern last 25 years, they've been as good as as Notre Dame, maybe even better if you look at the records. But Northwestern is obviously good academically. Notre Dame, obviously good at football, but they're also very good academically. But once you say you played football, all right, everything changes. You know, in their heads, Notre Dame football is one category. No one's thinking about Northwestern football. So they just hear smart, smart, smart. We're Notre Dame football. They're only hitting football, football, football. Northwestern football. I don't hear anything about football. I, I hear smart. So it, it's just interesting how, how I'll, I will play with that depending on my audience.
1: Sure, and the re- there's the reason I asked you that question, which is when we interact with people, it's important for us to know how we want to represent ourselves to develop connection, to sell ourselves, if we're looking to create opportunities, whatever it may be. So we need to know like what pieces of our background are the right things to say to whom to help. Uh, to help us achieve whatever goal it is we're trying to accomplish, right? If we're trying to build that rapport, for example, you have seven degrees, so I'm crazy, but I went to five different schools. So if I'm connecting with somebody that went to one of those schools, well, by golly, I'm going to talk about that one school versus somebody else, right? So, I mean, it just depends on what circumstance you're in and how you're trying to cultivate a relationship and what you want them to think of you. Um, So that's why I wanted to bring that up because, as a branding person, uh, you know I think it's important. I coach a lot of corporate executives on how they position their brand, so you need to think about those kind of things. What pieces of your story are the most relevant to pull out, depending on who you're communicating with?
2: Yeah, that's a great point. And and I'll, I'll tell you what, if, if I don't know the person's background that I'm communicating with because of that rapport that you're talking about, typically I will just say Notre Dame, even though that's not even where I got my degree from. I'm actually more proud of Northwestern, quite honestly, but. But I will say Notre Dame because there's a better likelihood that that person has some kind of Notre Dame story, like his grandpa took him to the game or they went to a tailgate or they partied in South Bend. It's it's very unless I'm talking to like someone that works for NASA or something, I'm not going to they won't have a Northwestern story. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just, it just doesn't happen. But um Anyhow, that's a, that's interesting, uh, perspective you got there.
1: Yeah. I just think it's important to think about what are the most impactful things that you can utilize to try to achieve whatever it is your goal is with connecting with people.
2: Yeah. I like that. I like that. So
1: two other things that I wanted to chat with you about, you got your upcoming book, the 2000% raise. When is it coming out? Let people know a little bit more about it.
2: Yeah. It should be the end of March or early April. We haven't picked an actual date yet. <clears throat> But two uh, thousand percentraisecom will be set up for pre orders if anybody's interested. Um, and and really, it's just using my life a- as a guide for the for advice to the reader. I, I use examples from my life, but but really, the overall messaging is much more scientific than just my memoirs. It's about educating you and opening your eyes to potential pitfalls that exist working for the man in corporate America, and and really trying to give people an understanding. That bigger is not better. hundred years in business doesn't mean crap. Okay. You can compete on your own if you follow this, this and this. And, and, um, you know, potentially these guidelines. And I, I share how it worked out for me. And the biggest takeaway is that we all have to give up something to get something, building equity in yourself with something to, something to sell. And, you know, you, you don't hear too many corporate employees that retired early and unless they got lucky with some stock options or some kind of crazy crap, you know, even the people that are making the big bucks, you know, they're not retiring early. And and I'm not saying like, okay, that should be your goal to retire early, but wouldn't that be a nice option to have on the table for yourself?
1: For sure. And I think it's important. Like not everybody is meant to be an entrepreneur. And so some people staying in corporate and that safety net and all that, that's fine and dandy, but there are other people that have been thinking about entrepreneurship, and they're just too scared to make the jump, like they've always wanted to do it, but something's holding them back. And so I think the things that for those people, and those that have made the leap, you know, book like yours, the podcast are great things to continue to give people nuggets and to hear the experiences of those who have walked in the shoes before them, so that they can accelerate their learning and progress and really move the ball and dominate.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and the book's not just, hey, rah, rah, quit your job, work for yourself. It, it really forces the reader to analyze, you know, what, what, what's their true talent level. One of, the, one of the big things I get into in depth is if you're not in sales and producing business, you know, you, you need to address that, especially especially if you're in a business-to-business environment and, and you're not in that role. <laughs> you have a very difficult time as an entrepreneur, you better have some kind of other plan on how you're going to bring in business. Um, right. You know, if, if you're good at sales, it's much more, much more easier transition.
1: For sure. Now, the last thing that I wanted to talk with you about, we are still early in 2023. There's a many, many more months ahead to do great things and continue to elevate. One of the things a lot of people who are content creators, like you and I, were always looking at how do we monetize further monetize those things to grow our businesses. At the end of the day, we are business owners. And so we're always looking on how do we I don't want to say capitalize, but it is capital. Like how do we how do we utilize this expertise that we're sharing in a way that brings value, but also compensates us for the work that we put into it and the value that we're serving to other people. So what are some of the things you're looking at doing this year to take your content and, you know, create some other products or programs with it?
2: I don't want to become one of those like talking heads where I've looked at that that way. You know, I, I had a multi million dollar exit of a company that I started from my kitchen table. I'm I'm a respected venture capitalist. I, I don't want to start being this guy that's you know pitching manuals online. You know what I mean? Especially when I'm not in a position right where, where I need the money. So, um, what I've decided to do this year, in conjunction with my book release, is come up with a curriculum that's being developed right now. I said, Hey, what did I wish I knew 15 years ago that I know now? All right. And, you know, lay it out and make this exclusive information that you're only going to get from me. It's not a, it's not a copy and paste or a repackaging of things that are out there. It's going to be videos directly from me. Um, And then the plan is to also follow that up with, um, you know, two or three different you know, one-on-one sessions to, to discuss your business. And it's going to be a really kind of exclusive type of thing. I don't want a bunch of people to do it. I want, you know, more like a, a few handfuls, maybe 20 or so a month um, and, involved. And, you know, the ticket price is going to be high, but I'm not going to even do it it's if I don't think that the value is there. The the, the meat is going to be on the bone. And uh, and when I say high, I, I, I'm not saying, I mean, it, we put it this way: somewhere between a thousand dollars and nine thousand dollars, not like fifty thousand dollars. And I was kind of laughing with my my team over here as we we're putting this together. They're like, "Well, what would you have paid for it if you knew this fifteen years ago? If you if you could have found this all out fifteen years ago, what would it have been worth to you?" And my answer was probably about a half a million dollars. I would have paid for this, and uh, knowing what I know now, and uh, I don't think anyone's going to pay us a half a million dollars. So, so, you know, it's, it's going to be, you know, much more, much more, um, affordable, uh, you know, than in the, in the range I just said, but, but at the same time, it's not going to be, it's still going to be high enough where, where it's exclusive. Cause if I get a hundred people to freaking do this, I'm I'm not going to have time for it. And I want it to have kind of a a personal one-on-one kind of feel to it as well.
1: For sure. And it's really about building relationships, serving a select population versus let me grow and scale and see how many people I can sell these units or, you know, curriculum to, which is the traditional coaching model. It's really about, you know, it, you are a business, you're giving your time. So you should be compensated for that. But it's not, you know, just I need this because I'm trying to earn a, a wage.
2: Right. Right. Exactly. And, and somebody positioned it pretty well to me too, where they, they said, look, Savannah, you know, Think about it as you saving them from some of the BS that's actually out there. You know, you got twenty-eight year olds that have never done anything after college except become business coaches, and they're be- they're really good at digital marketing and they know the algorithms and they know how to put ads on TikTok that are going to engage people. They know how to create a sales funnel. But all right, now this per- this aspiring entrepreneur goes that just wasted four months of his life listening to nonsense that's just repackaged that he could have got off YouTube. You know what I mean? So, you know, I I just, I, so I'm, it was positioned well to me, you being an option for them, you know, put you next to that. They're going to choose you over the other guy every time and and not waste their time. And, you know, that, that's the, that's the thought process. For sure. And
1: I think the other thing too is, you know, like, You want to be, you want to be picky with who you work with as well. It's an investment of your time. And so, you know, even with the clients that I work with, we're in different spaces, but I think we have the same philosophy on like who we want to work with. And, you know, I will say no to prospects if I don't think they're the right ones or I don't think we're aligned because it's just, it's not about making a sale. It's about building relationships with people, helping serve those people as well. But it's a mutual, it goes both ways. It's not just a one way street.
2: Right. I agree. I totally agree. So.
1: Well, awesome. This has been so great to have you on the show today. We're going to have all your social links in the show notes. Again, we're going to have a link so people can pre-order your book and please keep us posted as you build out your curriculum too. So that way, you know, I can, I'm happy to share and, and, you know, talk about that on another live stream or something too, if that's something that you want to do.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks again, John, for being on the show. And thanks to everyone for listening today. If you like today's episode, do me a favor, share it with someone else, because I'm also looking to grow my reach. And it's one way you can help me move the ball. And also, if you have not already done so, subscribe to the podcast or follow it on whatever platform you're listening to so that you never miss an episode. All right. Thanks again for listening. And we will catch you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up and you move the ball.
0: Thanks for listening to Move the Ball, everybody. If you were inspired by this episode, can you do me a favor and let me know? Go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. And also, share the show with a few friends too. Next, I want you to go to getinsidethehuddle.com and join our email list. This will give you priority access to tips and strategies that will help you get more done today. Not tomorrow, not next week, today. You got that? Okay. Until next time.